I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Joined today by Jack Prouse, CEO of Cortina Leathers, and we're talking about issues that affect every designer's work. Well, you didn't think I was going to tell you now, did you? Designers today are challenged by a global supply chain bottleneck caused by, of course, the pandemic shutdown, increased traffic at many of the world's ports. But let's not forget that Brexit and a U.S.-led trade war from four years ago still affects the marketplace today. Rarely do you get this kind of perspective from the very top about these issues and many others facing industry product partners. So today, we're going to shed some light on these issues and many others, along with a manufacturer profile on Cortina Leathers and the man at the top, Jack Prowse. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. You know, seven years ago, I would go out to a designer and I'd say, hey, I'd love to interview you for the podcast. And the first question was always, it's great. What's a podcast? <laughs> you know, but, um, but now it's, it's, it's widely accepted. And it's really interesting because with the whole pandemic, th this, the way that we're communicating now is just sort of like by necessity, it's, it's all we've got, right? Right. Absolutely. And I've got an hour and 15 minute uh, commute each way. So uh, I listen to podcasts constantly and uh, it's just excellent. It's a great way to learn things, use your brain while you're otherwise just, just tooling around. And uh, I think podcasts are a tremendous thing. Well, and it broader issue, you know, you as the CEO of a company, um, especially one in such a competitive industry, mm -hmm. like design and architecture and, and, you know, fabric, material, leather. I mean, look, you are an incredibly uh, competitive industry. I feel like um, you've got to stay on top of developing changes and doing, you know, that research is, is not always easy to find. But it's interesting too. You mentioned a commute. You know, even even now. I mean, are are you primarily working from home, or do you still do you still have that that same commute? No, we we have a finishing plant uh, here, and we we finish about eighty percent of the leather that we uh, are selling now. It used to be about fifty fifty, but with the pandemic, um, uh, in the hospitality business, uh, a lot of the higher end leather buyers. Uh, that typically buy our leather that is made in, in, in Italy are absent from the marketplace. I mean, they're just not, they're just not buying. So about 80% of the leather we're, we're selling now, uh, we finish in our plant here in Ohio. So I do go in, but I'm going in about three days a week and we're alternating a little bit just to reduce the, the density in the office and office. And, and, and also because I found during the pandemic when I was working from home, that I'm far more productive at home on the strategic issues. Um, you know, I play a lot of different roles. It's a small company, 
But a lot of what I need to be doing is thinking further down the road about the changes we need to make to our business model to be competitive based on the changes that are happening in the marketplace. As you just described, you know, the whole world is, is completely different than seven years ago. And if I'm not thinking about that, you know, nobody is. Um, and it's very difficult to do when you're in the office and, and you're being bombarded by questions and, and people and issues all day long. So I just found reserving those types of issues for now, Tuesday and Thursday, allows me when I'm in the uh, plant Monday, Wednesday, Friday, to be far more present with my people because I'm not worried about the fact that I'm not thinking about the strategic things. I know I'll get to them Tuesday and Thursday. And then on those days, I get far more done. Um, so it's, uh, I, I've told my folks, this is a permanent arrangement that I'm three days in the week uh, in the office. I, I just think it works better. Isn't, isn't that amazing how this has, like, if we had this conversation in a, in a business climate last year, and we had talked about the idea of, hey, we're going to start letting people work from home for three days a week. The common logic would have said that's not possible. That's not sustainable. Right. But, right. but now we don't have a choice. And, and I, I think that that's a really interesting idea because, you know, your, your background, you, you, went to, you went to the Wharton School, correct? I did. I got an engineering degree from Michigan undergrad and then Wharton School for Business. And the Wharton School for Business, a, a highly acclaimed business school where, you know, the, the ideas, and I bring that up specifically because in the design business specifically, you know, because it's so free flowing um, and the business side of things seems to be uh, run top, uh, bottom up instead of top down by major corporations deciding the, you know, top down would be where major businesses decide the structure of the business. And then it sort of trickles down into the rest of the industry. But because this is such a creative free flowing industry, it tends to be that the, the trends, the trending ideas, the way that the business is run tends to bubble up from the bottom, which creates a really interesting dynamic that someone like you sort of has to be flexible and nimble enough to manage along the way. And I'm curious how how this has affected the business. How this, you know, you said it, it, just a minute ago that you know it's it's changed the way you're working three days from home and probably way more efficient. The flip side of that, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about both sides of it because you have the business and how the business is run, but also how the businesses of your primary clients are run. You know, in office hospitality. Talk about that a little bit. How has that fundamentally changed the business? It has changed it completely. Uh, I can't think of a way in which it has not changed it. You know, most of the um, big design centers uh, or most of the design centers are in large U.S. cities. And many of them have been shut down for months and months and months. I mean, you talk about New York, you talk about L.A., you talk about Dallas, you talk about Miami. Um, so these are places where literally the designers cannot go into their offices. They're all working from home. Uh, it's all virtual. So um, obviously it makes it, uh, there are challenges to it and, and there are, we found some real plus sides. I mean, the challenges are uh, our sample box is in their library in the office and they can't access it. <laughs> and there's no way to go and have a lunch and learn and meet with 30 designers at one time. Um, but the positives are people are, are at home and they, they have a little bit more time to make a human connection. And if you can find uh, some ways to connect with people remotely, which we've been able to do, you can build some really nice relationships because people are just people. And, um, you know, we're all going through this, this horrible pandemic together. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been nice to get to know people on a deeper level than you can do when, when everyone's rushing around the office. So it's, you know, I don't know what is going to happen. These design firms are all located in, in major cities, as, as I said, and, and I don't know if they're ever going to go back to all being in, in the office. We found ways to be productive, but it is completely different. And then, of course, in the hospitality business, uh, that has been one of the most impacted businesses uh, or markets, you know, out there. And what we found is 
for a while, projects continued that, you know, not during the shutdown, but once, once things reopened, projects continued that were uh, in the works prior to the pandemic, but we weren't seeing a lot of new projects getting going. Um, and that is just starting to change now, but, you know, our volume was off 80% in the, in the hospitality business. Wow. So two, two things just to follow up on that. One of the things that I've, that I've heard is that now um, many of the hotels have said, okay, well, if we're not going to be at, at full capacity, if we're not going to be at full occupancy for the foreseeable future, let's use this opportunity where we would normally shut down and do a remodel. Let's make that capital investment now and do our redesign now while we can't have people here anyway. Have, have you started to see that? We have seen some of that. And uh, that's, you know, tremendous, obviously, for the, for the whole business, for those that can afford to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, other chains that are, that are losing so much revenue don't have the wherewithal to do that. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but yes, we have seen some of that. And, and I, I, you know, I think it's a great idea if you have the means because you're certainly not losing as much revenue uh, being shut down and doing renovations now uh, for sure. Then the other side of that is the modern office space. Mm-hmm. So it's, re- it's really interesting because we've got this, you know, as it relates to you and, and your business, and we talk about leather and leather as a surface, it, it's, it's durable, it's, it's easy. Um, it's always, you know, leather has always been something that's, that's perfect for the office. At home, you know, it's always, maybe it's not always. Um, oftentimes there's sort of this half and half, like, oh, we want this soft fabric and, or we want this performance fabric, or, you know, we want it because we're not here all the time. You know, it's, this is where we were. Well, guess what? Um, I do believe that we're on the precipice of a major design change coming up in the way that we look at our homes. I think, I, I think it's fair to say that everyone agrees on that now, right? Everything I'm reading agrees with that. Not only that we're looking at a major design change in the way we look at our homes, but also our offices. And, you know, office furniture is a primary market for us and has been since 1903 when, when, when we began, uh, and it remains so. And so we'll, we'll take each in turn, but if you first look at offices, um, you know, for the last 20 years, people have been moving to more of an open architecture um, where you've got, you know, higher density of people, uh, not in cubicles or any sort of dividers, fewer offices, you know, more built around collaboration, but also, quite frankly, packing more people into fewer square feet, uh, if we're honest with each other. And, you know, the pandemic has set up sort of uh, two somewhat competing dynamics in that, obviously, a lot of people are not in the office at all. And companies are looking at even down the road, they don't envision 100% of people coming back into the office. So at one point, you know, right now that market is somewhat frozen. Nobody is expanding their office space for sure right now. And people aren't spending a ton of money renovating it until they figure out what it's going to look like in the long term. But everybody is talking that they were having a, a, about a major design change. And a lot of what people are saying is we may go back to a situation of lower density, people a little further apart more dividers, uh, maybe they're not the old QB farms, but somehow some dividers and maybe more offices. Um, so it's interesting, even if you go back to 60 or 70% of your previous workforce being in the office, you may need the same amount of space uh, with these new configurations. And hopefully you'll use more leather because you're going back to the environment of uh, executive seating uh, and, and conference room seating and boardroom seating and lounge seating, um, uh, which is where the leather is used. Uh, it was not used as much as when you have a long sort of uh, uh, kitchen table with a bunch of stools at it uh, with people working. So we don't know how that's going to shake out, but it is going to be a major, major change. And then when you look at the home, we're starting to see right now you know, we are the uh, major or sole supplier to 
all of the big U.S. All, uh, office furniture companies, whether you're talking about Steelcase or Hayworth or Kimball or OFS or All Steel or Gunlock, you know, all of them. And they are shifting a lot of their product toward more home use. And office and home is blending. Um, and uh, it is indistinguishable. And, and we are seeing, you know, for a while, you can sit on the wooden chair and, and do your Zoom meetings and work from home. But at some point, your back starts hurting and you need a decent <laughs> task chair at home. Uh, and we are seeing uh, that volume pick up um, uh, for to create home offices and, and more permanent establishments. I mean, you can't sit in a living room forever. No, you can't. And, um, you know, there's something else to it about, I, I feel like, and especially with all the people that I've spoken to, as far as, you know, there was this major shift in the last probably eight to 10 years away from you know, prior to that, it was a shift away from the formal living room, away from the formal dining room into more of a, of a, of a co-use, co-mingling, um, multifunctional, larger space. Right. And then you started to see the, whole, the, uh, the idea of the home office because at first it was, it became a major negotiating tool for employees. It's like, hey, listen, I want every other Friday off. That became a negotiating thing where they could spend some time working from home. This is an evolution. This didn't happen overnight. And as employees started working from home, they realized even prior to this Zoom explosion that there was going to be a need to have a somewhat business-like environment from, from which to operate. Yeah, so the, the large multi, uh, multi-purpose room worked well until you're on a board meeting and your kids are climbing on your shoulders. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> That is so true. I got to tell you, though, honestly, and just to separate for for a second, some of the Zoom catastrophes have been so amusing and just fun to watch. And and heartwarming, because as I said before, we're all people. And when you're in the office, in your suit, you know, that can get lost. But it's it's seeing people in their home environments and and their cats jumping on the keyboards. You know, it reminds everybody that we're we're all just humans. (sighs) Totally. And I I feel like, and I want to get your perspective on this, with with this new reality and with this new new change and with this mandatory change and with the way that things have gone, I feel like it has opened a door and created an opportunity for really the people who do have the biggest say over how we experience, and it's all about user experience, right? How mm-hmm. we experience the the idea of working from home, and how, um, and that is that is really designers and architects. Because if yeah. designers, if designers and architects can create a space that is functional, environmentally pleasing, and it it pleases the bosses and the administrators who decide if this working from home experience can work, right? If this experiment can work, then you'll see more of it. What does that do to you from a research design R&D opportunity when you look at your product, you know, a company that, that you started, you know, that was started in 1903 and you're you're running this hundred plus year old company with with a material that's that's probably the original fabric for every use, right. or every material for every use. Um, how do you modernize it? How do you how do you uh, take that product and make it something that can be adaptable for future use? Right, right, right. Well, I mean leather in itself, in its substance, you know, there's a reason it's been around since, you know, prehistoric man uh, hunting for food and then, and then using the skins for shelter or a teepee or, or clothing and been used, you know, by the uh, Romans to, for armor and to stop uh, crossbow arrows. It, it, it has a lot of unique features that have never been duplicated by man. Uh, and so it, to this day, it remains the product with the, the best hand and feel and smell. It lasts the longest. So, it, you know, it, 
there is a place in, in all of the new and cutting edge designs for it, but we certainly have to adapt the, the leather lines that we're coming out with. And um, we have always prided ourselves on being, we are, we are a smaller company, although we're fairly large in the leather business, but most leather companies are, are fairly small. Um, but on being very designer focused, we don't get all wrapped up in our own internal processes. We don't have bureaucracy and committees and meetings and things. We stay hip to hip with the interior designers that are out there. And when you talk about our research and development, our research and development is talking to designers and asking what they need. We don't pretend that we are smarter than our customers and we're going to design these leathers that they've never thought of, uh, don't know they need, and, and it's going to be a wow. I mean, obviously, we're always working on new things, but we take our cues from the designers and we try to stay in touch with them. And when they say, here's a trend and here's a look and here's a color that we're going for, but it's less rustic and Western, it's more clean and cosmopolitan, then that's what we work on. And we go to them and say, what, what colors are you looking at for this next year? And, you know, we're a member of, of all these uh, groups that are, that are looking at, you know, the latest colors and the latest looks. And, and, and that's, our, that's our research and development is, is being design focused. And we view ourselves as providing the tools to designers to allow them to be creative. Um, we don't have to be all that creative we, we provide them with a palette and then they make it happen uh, in creating the spaces. And, and, you know, as you mentioned before, I'm a business guy. I don't have that creative bone. And I, I don't pretend to, but I'm amazed at, at you know, when I see uh, a true designer uh, put together a space and, and how it comes together. And we love to be a part of that. So we just, we just try to try to keep up with them. And, as you said, that the pace of change right now is quicker than it's been in, in many years. I mean, it, the, the upheaval, uh, the home, um, in hotels and hotel spaces, in offices, trying to create something that is beautiful, functional, but people feel safe in, um, is, is, is a whole new deal. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I think that that's a great approach. Um, I really do uh, to go designer first and let them tell you how to how to change the industry, because I will tell you something, the way that the designers are changing design today and, and moving it forward. It, it's so it, it it's akin to fashion and the automotive industry. You know, a couple of years ago, I was covering the uh, La Cienega Design Fair, uh, uh, La Cienega uh, Design Legends event in 2018. And there was a designer, um, Patrick Sutton, who was doing one of the rooms. And it still sticks with me. He did his entire space. So I don't know if you're familiar with La Cienega uh, Design Quarter, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a design area around the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles. Um, and they do this event every year except for this year, where the designers, they have designers come in and they take a showroom window and mm -hmm. they design the window and, you know, people can just walk by and look at the designs. And it's, it's really, a, it's an amazing event here in Southern California. And they bring designers in from all over the world to do these windows. And Patrick Sutton, who I believe is from Chicago, did a window where the entire, all of the walls, all three walls in the space were blue patent leather. Wow. And it was stunning. I mean, it just, it was, it was, there, there was a visceral reaction to this. It was amazing. Uh, it looked like, it, it looks like, it looked like Christmas. It just reminded me of Christmas. And it was, it was amazing to look at and to see how we put this together. And, and in the years before that and since then, I've seen some designers do some absolutely amazing things with pressed leather, you know, crocodile, you know, the things that they're doing, the colors that they're doing, the how they're using it, they're using it in, in place of wallpaper in some cases. Right. They're, right. they're wrapping things that wouldn't ordinarily be wrapped. Um, it's just amazing. And I'm curious when you see that, to see what, what the design industry can do with your product, mm -hmm. 
does it, and, and I get that you don't want to start designing for designers and you don't want to start outthinking them, but I guess what my question is, is how nimble are you if a designer says, you know, I want to do a burgundy pressed croc leather for a, for a wall. You know, when you, when you hear things like that, is this like, uh, not really what we do, or you can send that out to, to someone who can custom press it. How do you approach the changes in use of product? Yeah, we, we love that. We love that. In fact, uh, in the architecture and design business, which I include residential um, and commercial in that, along with hospitality, uh, about 60% of our volume are pure customs. Uh, people tell us about an idea or send a piece of fabric or wallpaper or something and say, that's the color. And then I want this print. And then I want it hand rubbed with, you know, gold metallic to highlight things. And we love that. We love that because it gets us, it allows us to stretch our, our, our creative uh, uh, limbs. And uh, no, we're, we're very flexible in that. Typically we can do everything in our own finishing facility. Uh, certainly all the custom color matches, um, we have hundreds of different plates uh, for, for, you know, pressing the texture into the leather. Certainly a number of different crocodile, as you mentioned, and alligator and lizard and everything else. Some people, by the way, uh, don't realize that that's all cow leather. Uh, no one, no one is, is taking the skins from lizards uh, to make wall, wall panels. Uh, it's all cow and, uh, and just pressed to look like those other uh, animals. But no, we can do most of that. There are some big embossing houses. Uh, if, you, if you pick a pattern that, that we don't have, there's folks with thousands, um, then we can do hand rubbing you know, uh, in our facility. We do that every day. Um, we have all the machinery. So we can typically uh, crank out a strike off in, in less than a week. And if that's approved, we can make the product in, in two, three weeks if we have the uh, uh, the right hides and in inventory. We, we also work with a lot of tanneries in Italy. Uh, if we have a little bit more time, four to six weeks, um, we can get pretty much anything done in Italy. There, we work, there are three tannery districts in, in Italy. Um, the upholstery district is in Arzignano, which is between uh, Milan and Venice. Uh, and then you've got the garment uh, industry is down in Tuscany near Florence. Everyone knows that has been to Florence and buys a jacket. And then you've got the, the shoes uh, and accessories is down near Naples. So we're up in Arzignano and there are about 250 uh, leather businesses there. And because of that, all of the providers, the chemical companies, um, the education that's going on there, just the, just the mix of, of knowledge that's moving around if you don't innovate, you, you just lose your business because the guy next door is doing it. And what they can create is tremendous. Um, so, you know, if we have a little bit more time, uh, we often work with our partner tanneries over there and they can make anything. So we, we love when designers come to us with a new idea. It's just a lot of fun. It's interesting too, but I, I, I want to sort of take a, a detour for a second and ask you with, Italy closing, you know, Italy was the first affected by this, really. Um, how did that affect delivery? Uh, and has that, has that come back for you? What is the delivery window? And what do you see as far as what you're getting from Italy now? Mm -hmm. It's completely come back. Um, we're 100% we're back on track. Um, certainly, they were shut down for, for quite a while. Um, it didn't impact us too much, to be honest, because we keep um, millions of square feet of, in stock uh, here in the States, and we were able to fill most orders. And quite honestly, a lot of projects were halted in the U.S. as well. So things were delayed from an order standpoint, and, and uh, we were able to, to keep up pretty well with shipping from stock. Certainly a few things. Uh, were needed and, and we couldn't get them made, but you know they got up and running in May about the same time we did uh, as a nation, and and uh, we got back on track pretty quickly. 
Back to the design community for for a moment. Are are you seeing? So you know, I'm kind of describing how some designers, you know, I don't I don't want to necessarily call them avant garde because I think when it's almost like show houses and design events are kind of like mm-hmm. the fashion and auto show for our industry, right? Mm-hmm. And you so you will see creators doing something amazing with a product and it's like wow I didn't realize that I could do that I want to I want to do that in the future how do you engage how does the company engage with the trade how do you how do you stay on top of that because and I ask because it's not something that's easy to do you know it's 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 a challenge and it's something hard and it has to be a, I've seen this with a, a number of companies. You know, it has to be something that is a targeted, focused effort. How do you keep in touch? How do you stay connected to those who are doing amazing things and different things with your product? I think it's a, a we take a kind of a two pronged approach. Uh, on the one hand, um, we attend all the leather shows, uh, Linea Pella in uh, Milan uh, every year is the largest in the world. And people are bringing all of their latest developments in leather and all their latest lines and all the designers are walking around and and shopping. And um, then there are a lot of designers that put together collections for everyone's use of what they think is going to be the next year. And the good thing about this for us uh, in the upholstery business is that it's very uh, garment and accessory driven. And it's so it's fashion driven, basically. And the fashion industry is always about two years ahead of the upholstery (laughs) industry. So I look very closely at what people are putting on $4,000 handbags um, because uh, usually that takes a year or two before people are, are saying, okay, this is a trend that's here to stay. And we're going to put it on a chair in the lobby of the Four Seasons. So that gives us a little time to see what's coming out. And then I run back, you know, with uh, a bunch of photographs and scraps and design ideas and books and and we get to work. Um, The other way we do it, as I described a little bit earlier, is, is really through our salespeople and our sales reps and our sales management team keeping in touch with the designers. I mean, we rely on them because they are they are out every day meeting with designers and looking at the projects and consulting with them. And we we pride ourselves on being consultants. We're not there to just sort of push whatever leather we're selling onto designers. We want to hear what the needs are. You know, what's the use? If it's a headboard and you need big panels, okay, we're going to suggest something that's made from a South German bowl and is going to offer very large, clean panels. If it is a if a chair uh, in a dining room, we're going to work with you to pick a leather that's going to be stain resistant and and cleanable, and not just sell you what feels great, but you're going to need to replace in three months because it's all stained up. So we're we're consulting all the time and hearing ideas and learning. And then what we've done is we've created a a, uh, a kind of a committee, an advisory committee of all of our best sales reps from from around the world. And we meet and we hear their ideas and, and we, we hear what's going on uh, with, the, with the designers that they're meeting with. Um, and certainly we attend all the, the, the events and trade shows. You know, you described some in the Palisades and, you know, our leather is in that uh, Pacific Design Center. And, um, you know, and so we're, we're, we're in touch all the time, or at least try to be. Touching on that and, and sort of going a little bit further, I'm, I'm curious how you adapt um, in current situations, because look, I mean, whether you're talking D&D or the PDC or, you know, San Francisco Design Center, whatever design center you're talking about, traffic has dropped 80 plus right. per- percent. And it doesn't right. it, it doesn't look like there there will be any return to normal in the foreseeable future. Right. Um, the events. I mean, look, everything got canceled this year. What comes back and when next year, when that you can get this machine started again? Who knows? Um, right. So what do you do and how do you, how do you adapt? I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that you have a chain of reps and you have, you know, you have those outside, you know, boots on the ground to, to sort of 
be touchdowns for what's what's happening out there. But there is, you know, is there a replacement for all of the events? Is there a replacement <clears throat> for all the trade shows? How do you um, how do you think about that? How do you how do you try to plan for that? Well, there's there's two ways in which we've adapted. I mean, I think, um, you know, we talked about in, in general how we keep up with trends. Uh, but as you as you are asking about this pandemic, you know, I think it's a great example that highlights how we try to stay on top of things. When this pandemic came out and we began to learn about it, and the, uh, there was a lot of focus on the fact that it was transmissible from touch from surfaces, um, and people would not feel safe in common areas, we immediately changed all of our product development plans and refocused on leather that could be disinfected. And we we're lucky enough that, you know, a decade ago, we worked with Krypton and their scientists to come out with a, a leather coating, which is completely different from their fabric coating, that allows uh, not only stain resistance, but cleanability and disaffectability. Uh, and we'd always talked about cleanability and stain removal. Uh, and the fact that you can use bleach on our leather and it won't damage uh, the leather, the leather that had Krypton, Krypton on it. But we never thought we'd be talking about disinfecting the leather. So the first thing we did is, is ran out and, you know, the CDC created a list of cleaners that they proved kill human coronavirus on surfaces. And, and the major things were quaternary ammonium, hydrogen peroxide and bleach. And so we said, okay, let's see what these things do to our leathers. And we conducted uh, at a third party accredited laboratory, some very stringent tests on the leather with all these cleaners. And we found out that they don't touch the leather when it has a Krypton coating in it. So now we've got a leather that you can put in a hospital setting, in an airplane, in a hotel lobby, in a dining room, and you can wipe down with a disinfectant between people and not harm the leather. So we put immediately all of our product development plans on hold and looked at creating new leathers with Krypton coating or putting Krypton on existing leathers. And that, you know, so we were able to launch seven new leather lines within about three months that can be disinfected. And so that's the kind of thing we do to, to try to be very flexible and moving. And as you say, the environment changed, the needs change, we have something that you can reach to with, with confidence right now. Now, when you're talking about, you know, showrooms and, and, and trade shows and, and all those things that have gone away right now, um, you're right, it's a whole new world. And what we've tried to do is uh, find out other creative ways. So, you know, uh, it, in fact, it, it's our LA person who found uh, a creative new way and she came up with uh, parking lot, uh, basically parking lot trade shows where she got together with about five or six of the, of, uh, you know, other manufacturers and they've created stations around a parking lot where it's outside, it's uh, socially distanced, but designers can come out and look at the new things from a lot of different people. And I mean, it's things like that are going to have to be the way to go. And we've created more sort of, you know, presentations that we can do, you know, over Zoom and and one on one. And, you know, it's 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 it certainly takes more work um, and you're hitting fewer people than if you can just stand in a showroom and everyone come to you. Um, but we're going to have to adapt. And I think those are some of the ways we're, we're doing it. I think that's I think that's brilliant. And I'm curious, you know, has has. I know it has. How has this affected your CapEx for 21 as it relates to marketing, mm -hmm. specifically travel, um, specifically advertising? Because one of the things that I think is really interesting, and I think this is, this is interesting because small, you know, small design firms and small boutiques and small companies don't have the benefit of the Wharton School business degree to sort of realize, you know, much of this, I think what's really interesting about this, Jack, is it's new to us, 
and it feels new. And so it feels like we talk about these being unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. These are not unprecedented times. They're, they're really not. There is, there is pretty much precedent for everything. Um, now, there's never been, you know, the exact situations that we have now, but there's been a pandemic. There's been a recession. There's been a depression. There's been global war. There's been, you know, civil rights issues. There's been, there have been all of these things, but maybe the things haven't happened in the same combination. But one thing that, that is true is that these events have happened before and there were businesses around at the time. Your business was around the, during the, not during the last pandemic, but your business was around during the Great Depression. You know, mm -hmm. there, these issues are, are not fundamentally new. They're just new to us. So I think having the benefit of, you know, hindsight a little bit from a business perspective to look back and say, okay, well, when this happened last time, here are some things that were done that didn't work. But here's right. some here's some companies that that thrived during the Great Depression. Here's the, some companies that that you know thrived during the the last pandemic. Um, so I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is um, at 1918. So yeah, the, your company was around during that time. Yes, yes, we were. Although I, I can't tell you with specificity exactly how we happened. <laughs> right, <this>. right, <laughs> right. Somehow, somehow we got through it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the question is, you, you can look back at, at some of these things and say, okay, well, I can't guarantee you what's going to happen in the future. Here are some trending ideas that, that might affect us, you know, moving forward. And here's some things that were done in the past. And here's some ideas. I think what you talk about, and you mentioned, you know, the, the idea of the, of the pop-up show right. is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What, what longstanding trends do you think are going to, are going to be affected or are going to affect the business and how do you move forward with that? So that's a really good question. And um, we're kind of approaching it in, in two ways. You are absolutely correct that there have been a lot of, you know, hits, recessions, crises, things that have hit. I mean, just since I started working, you know, in 1990, we've had several sharp recessions. Uh, the 2001 uh, attack that, that, that froze business uh, for quite a while, the 2008 uh, financial crisis, you know, there have been a lot of things to deal with. This is different uh, from that in, in one major uh, respect. Normally in, in crises, the entire economy is, is depressed or at least broadly depressed. This crisis, there are still a lot of winners I mean, there are some real winners and there are some losers. And we see this in our marketplace. Uh, several of our markets, when you talk about residential manufacturing, I mean, people are sitting at home for months on end and they're realizing that their furniture is worn out. <laughs> and so, so they're going out and replacing it. They're tired of looking at the same stuff. So, you know, that end of the business for us is up. Automotive aftermarket is up for us. Um, people are home, they still have money, uh, and they have the time to go take the car in there and get the, get the seat covers replaced. So that's up. We've seen the marine business is skyrocketing. People are buying boats. That's one thing you can do in a safe and socially uh, distant manner. So, you know, we are reacting and, and launching for the first time in our 120-year history um, a non-leather product, a silicon product that uh, is great for outdoors. Um, no denim transfer, cleanability, you know, doesn't, doesn't crack, doesn't fade, any of those things. It's great for boats. So, you know, one thing that we're doing is looking for those markets and those niches that are growing. And we're focusing more efforts in those, those arenas. But then that what we're doing from a long term, I think you can really learn from history. And, and history tells us that in any time of crisis, the companies that, that, that pull back everything to save money and focus on cost are the ones that lose coming out. And the, and the companies that win are those that take a, a period of retrenchment to build deeper relationships with their customers, to, as you said, focus their CapEx and come out with the new products that will be sought out, uh, sought after when we come out.
And those are the companies that when uh, the economy rebounds, and it will, we don't know that, you know, we're going to need as much office space going forward. We don't know how long it's going to take until hotel occupancy is where it is now. Or, you know, we do a lot of commercial aviation leather. We don't know when it's going to be that that, that industry is going to, to rebound fully. But we do know that at one point it will. And designers are going to reach for the companies that have stood with them during the difficult times and they've built a strong relationship with. So we're investing in that relationship and we're taking the money that we've saved in travel, which, oh my goodness, I had no idea how much we spent on travel and expenses until we weren't. And and we're saving massive amounts of money on that and the trade shows. And we're taking that and we're, we're funneling that marketing money into, uh, you know, other arenas. Some of it, you know, print ads or, or, or you know, buying distribution lists and, and getting, uh, uh, you know, email communication, whether it's social media, a lot more in social media, um, or as we we're talking about, like these pop-up events, uh, things like that, where we can have direct uh, relationships and communications. Um, so we're not as much scaling back as, as just, you know, funneling our money from one to the other uh, arena. Fortune favors the bold, does it not? Uh, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's a pretty scary time. I mean, you know, we're down, we're down, we're all 40% uh, even now as a whole. And that's with some of the markets being up. Others, you know, we're, there is no commercial aviation uh, leather business right now. And, and it's a scary time. I, I, you know, it's funny because that is really tongue in cheek, but I, I think the, I think the greater message here to your point, cause that is true. And while it is scary, um, it, you know, there, there's a ton of, of bumper sticker wisdom to go around, you know, this too shall pass, uh, hang in there, baby, whatever. But what's interesting about it is that history does tell us that in fact, this, this two shall pass. And to your point, the companies, and I think the important part is it's, I think the investment is important, but I think that the mindset that accompanies the investment is, is what's really important. And Mm -hmm. that is, this is not, this is not a time to get small. This is not a time to fully withdraw because while you do that, there are others who say, you know what, I'm not going to be reckless with our, with our investment money. We're going to be smart about it. Let's look for you. I think it's really interesting. I think it's fascinating. Just what I've learned in the last, you know, 49 minutes that hospitality, which is a major industry for you takes a hit. Absolutely. So what do you do? You come out with the first ever in a hundred years plus an outdoor product that, that, you know, you can, that is a non-leather product that you can make serve a different industry, right? So, Jack, you still there? I am. You went silent here for a while. Okay, good. You know, it's it's funny because this is part of it is trying to do these virtually. And it's funny because I leave a lot of these in there because it's important that people know when you freeze up on Zoom, you're not the only one that's doing it. It happens to everybody. But but I think the the point is though that this is the first time that you've come out with a non leather product in a hundred plus years. When when something retracts, you find an opportunity for growth. And coming out of this, does that not give you a, a remarkable opportunity? Because now you can you can retrench, regrow within the hospitality industry. But now you've also got a new line that will help grow the business overall. Right, right, right. That is absolutely what we're trying to do. And and I think. You know, as you said, you know, history, if, if we learn anything, is that if you say still, right, business are like sharks, right? If you stop moving, you die. And uh, just because we've been around for 120 years doesn't mean we're going to be around for another 120. Um, you know, the company uh, started making buggy whips. If they said, well, we're going to stick with this buggy whip business, uh, that's a great leather business. Uh, and, you know, maybe expanding to carriage, uh, carriage seats. But, but nothing else, you know, it had been dead 100 years ago. So, you know, we, we have to constantly innovate and change. And, um, but it's important to stay true to your, your principles. I mean, we are a leather company and we have a very, very strong environmental push. 
So one of the reasons that we've we've never had a non-leather product is I haven't found one that was in keeping with our environmental message. Um, you know, most of, well, not most, all of the leather substitutes, whether you're talking about um, vinyls, which is polyvinyl chloride or, or polyurethanes, uh, the faux leathers are all petroleum derived, you know, products and, and leather is a natural organic sustainable product. And so we, we could never offer, it wouldn't be right for us to offer, you know, one of those products. But this, this silicon seems to be, uh, you know, very environmentally sound. It's made from the uh, sand, which is the, the second largest uh, or second most abundant um, element on the, on the planet. We're not going to run out. It's PVC, PBA, all those things free. It doesn't emit anything. Um, so, uh, you know, we felt, we felt good about it. And, uh, you know, that, that enabled us to, to go after it. And we're excited about it. I mean, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see where it goes. But, uh, but we've got to do things that, that we know that are in keeping with our principles and, and, uh, and we can do well. Uh, we've looked at a lot of other businesses or markets to get into and just decided we don't know anything about that. How are we going to be better than the current competitors? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Well, and you know, closing note, I I do think that's fascinating, and I I think that um, in the future I would like to circle back and touch base with you again about this because I do think that it's absolutely fascinating when you think you know as you're talking about the fact that you know it's a natural product made of sand doesn't you know doesn't off gas anything, and you're you're still in the in the early phases of this, but you're learning so much more about this new product, sort of what that type of product i you know i'm starting to think of things you know hospitals nurseries the the areas where you can put a product like that where where mothers doctors will feel comfortable having that product in that environment it really is kind of mind-boggling and fascinating and exciting to think about um moving forward it's got to be exciting for you it is it is we're very excited Jack, thank you very much for taking the time today. This was great. I really appreciate it. Josh, this has been great. Uh, great to meet you, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your partnership, and thank you for listening. Without you, there is no joy in doing this, and I appreciate you greatly. My hope is to bring you inspiration and sublime design through these conversations, to give you that extra push to be the most creative designer you can possibly be. And I hope we did that here. Please make sure you are subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X and ConvoByDesign.com for all things related to the show. Be well. And remember to take today first. Mm-hmm.